Welcome to the Upwards Podcast, an initiative of Upper House on the campus of University of Wisconsin-Madison. Through conversations with thinkers, scholars, and leaders, we explore the life of the mind and the questions of the soul to enrich our university, our community, and the church. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. I'm Dan, on staff at Upper House, and this week uh, we've actually enjoyed lifting the restrictions here in Wisconsin and are actually hosting our first in-person gathering. Hallelujah. This episode is going to be another entry into our series called Inside Upper House, which aims to pull the curtain back on the parts of Upper House that are harder to see from the outside. Now, that gathering that we were hosting this, uh, this week is a small group of leaders of institutions much like Upper House. We call ourselves Christian Study Centers, often located on large university campuses like UW. And as you'll hear, we share a lot of characteristics in common while also being distinct based on our different locations and university contexts. As a study center, Upper House is a member of a larger consortium of Christian Study Centers. I'm betting most of you listening didn't know that, but it's one of the few organizations Upper House is a member of that extends nationally. So I'm excited to be sitting down for a couple minutes here with Carl Johnson, who is in town for our gathering, and he's the executive director of the Consortium of Christian Study Centers. Hi, Carl. Hi, Dan. It's great to be here. Awesome. We've loved hosting you and the other study center leaders here. um, It's good to be back together again. Definitely. Definitely. So to give our listeners a bit of insight about the consortium, and why Upper House finds it such an exciting organization to be a member of. Uh, I just wanted to talk to you, Carl, about your journey in the study center world and then your role as the director of the consortium. Sure. So first of all, can you just tell us a bit about uh, how you came to be involved in the world of Christian study centers and then how you assumed your current leadership position as the executive director of the consortium of Christian study centers? Sure. So uh, the way that I got involved in Christian Study Centers, I'll just uh, uh, tell the story somewhat biographically, which is to say that I arrived at Cornell University as an undergraduate student in the mid-1980s. And over the course of my years at Cornell, I would say I, I, I developed a sort of dual frustration with my experience. On the one hand, I had some frustration with the university because the education was so thoroughly secular, very, very little opportunity really to explore the implications of of faith for learning, especially in a particular discipline. But at the same time, the opportunities for, say, turning to a church or a campus ministry for real intellectually stimulating forms of engagement drilling deeper into difficult questions, was also very limited. I mean, there, just to be frank, there was a lot of anti-intellectualism in the church then, as I think there is now. And, and so Christian students are oftentimes a little bit at sea, or to use a somewhat overused term, they have this kind of schizophrenic existence, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so you search for ways to cope for that. And, and one coping mechanism uh, we all know many students go to university and stop practicing their faith altogether. But perhaps an even more common coping mechanism is a kind of compartmentalization, where you, you, you live your academic life Monday to Friday, you study, you go to class, 
And then on Sunday, possibly on Wednesday night, you go to a Bible study, you get your, your Christian content, so to speak. But these two things don't really come together. They don't interact. So that was sort of the background or the backdrop. That was my experience as an undergraduate student. And then shortly after my college years, uh, around the time I was starting graduate school, I became aware of, of resources that were out there that I didn't know about before. Some of these were kind of older historic Christian scholarly sources, but there was also new publications coming out. Regeneration Quarterly was very exciting, sadly no longer with us. Uh, Mars Hill Audio was a new resource, and uh, most of all, Books and Culture also sadly no longer with us, which just goes to show how hard it is to sustain projects that really aim at a robust integration of Christian faith and the life of the mind. But these resources showed me new possibilities. And I thought to myself, wow, this is really interesting, exciting stuff, but who knows about it? Like who on my campus is letting students know about these kinds of resources? The answer to which was nobody. And so the original idea that I had was to start a resource room where we would have these kinds of periodicals as well as some great scholarly books. And that's how we got started. I just started sharing the idea of a resource room. I didn't really know what a study center was at the time. There were very few, really, back in the 1990s. And somebody steered me toward uh, the center at the University of Virginia. I struck up a correspondence with Drew Trotter, who was the director there at the time and later became the first director of the consortium. And as soon as I saw what they were doing down there in Charlottesville, I thought, wow, that's awesome. And I want to recreate something like that at Cornell. So that's what we did. That's how Chesterton House got started, which we founded in 2000. That's fascinating. And I think about here, we're actually uh, at Upper House creating a, what we're calling a reading room, but we're almost reverse engineering the process of yours <laughs> as we have a center and now we're trying to create a reading room and you sort of went the opposite. It's direction. a little harder to get people to actually read books now than it was then 20 <laughs> years ago. That's so true. That's so true. Uh, so you were at uh, Chesterton House, and you spent, how many years did you spend sort of leading Chesterton House? 20 years. I uh, stepped down at the end of uh, 2019. Okay, and then and then you assumed the role uh, of executive director of the consortium following right. Drew Trotter. That's right. All right, so there are, there are some 30 study centers uh, on 30 different campuses in the consortium, and Upper House is one version of what a study center could look like, but there are certainly diversity uh, among the study centers in size, style, and even sort of missional uh, focus. So what do you see as sort of leading the consortium? What do you see as the shared characteristics of Christian study centers? Yeah, it's a great question. You're right. There's a, a lot of diversity among study centers. They're grassroots operations. They're not, um, you know, planted in a top-down sort of way. Uh, some are big, some are small, some are focused on serving undergraduate students, some are more focused on graduate students and faculty members. Some have uh, sizable facilities, uh, some have no facilities whatsoever. Some are oriented toward providing uh, content that is sort of apologetics oriented in a, in a traditional sorts of way, and others are more focused on spiritual formation and faithful presence. So there's, there's a lot of variety uh, among study centers, and yet at the same time, there are elements that hold these things together in a unifying sort of way. On the consortium website, we have a short piece on what is a study center uh, that, that notes a few of these characteristics. Virtually all study centers aim to be 
servants and unifiers of other parachurch ministries, as well as the local church community, gathering the Christian community on a campus for a wide variety of purposes, ranging from events to prayer meetings. Pretty much all study centers also aim at something like a comprehensive world and life view, a kind of integration of faith and learning so that the Christian learning isn't merely something that goes on top of all the other forms of learning one is getting in the classroom, but it really uh, functions to hold everything together. Related to that, I would say there's there's an understanding of the gospel and, and of the kingdom being what we call cosmic in scope, meaning that it touches on every aspect of life and learning. It's not as if the religious life is some sort of a compartment that's separate from our eating and sleeping and living and serving others. Whether you're studying nutrition or physics or engineering, the Christian faith has some relevance for that discipline and that professional field. It's also the case, I'd say, that related to all of this, that Christianity is not just something that can be studied as an object, but it's a lens through which we see the world. And it it has the ability to illumine our studies. C.S. Lewis once said, I believe in Christianity as I believe in the rising of the sun, not only because I see it, but because by it, I see everything else. And I think something like that understanding of Christian faith increasing the possibilities for learning is at the heart of study centers. That sounds right uh, from our perspective here at Upper House. One other thing, just two comments I'd have. One is there's an interesting history of Christian study centers that you can sort of find a genealogy of the idea and commend to people the book by Charlie Cotherman, To Think Christianly, that that goes into that history. Excellent book. And then the other thing is, and this struck me also as a student, a graduate student here at UW before joining Upper House, and what I've appreciated about Upper House, and I think I know this from the other study centers, is a real wanting to come alongside and actually cheer on a lot of what goes on in the university. Not everything. There's certainly critiques and and ways that study centers would differ from the institutions that they serve. But overall, there is a, a, a hope that, that study centers can help and aid and encourage faculty to do better research, um, students to excel in their studies, and really lean into the really good knowledge that is being produced and taught on campuses uh, every day. And that seemed to be, a, a, at least that seems to be a shared um, perspective from, for a lot of the study centers as well. Yeah, I think that's right. The campus ministry landscape is, of course, always changing, and other campus ministries are are adapting over time. This would be especially true, I think, when the study center movement was first getting started, say, 20-plus years ago, that campus ministry, almost by definition, tends to be extracurricular, right? So the, the activities offered by campus ministries, from the student's perspective, are on top of, separate from, in addition to their classroom commitments. That poses challenges, challenges related to time. How do you get the time of students? What study centers often do might be regarded as more nearly co-curricular, occupying a kind of strategic gap between the classroom per se and extracurricular activity. So for example, uh, I can think of times when we brought scholars to campus to give a lecture in the evening, but then the department chair in this scholar's field would call me on the phone and say, hey, I heard you have so-and-so coming to campus. Is that for real? You know, can we can we get this uh, person, you know, into a classroom or offering a seminar in the department? And then, so there's a kind of a blurring of sorts between the offerings that are part of the university proper and the 
lectures that are being offered, say, on the evening or the weekend that are in addition to that? Yeah, those interesting partnerships are always fun to pursue uh, from the study center perspective. Uh, Okay, so you're the director of the consortium of Christian study centers. And so how do you see your work as the head of the consortium in relationship to each of the individual centers, a a center like Upper House? Yeah, so the consortium was started back in 2008 when there were, you know, fewer than there are now. And we got together uh, a few times over the years. In 2007, I hosted several colleagues up in Ithaca, largely just to share best practices. And it was such a rich time we said, we've got we've to institutionalize this, both for our own sake, so that we can get together and share best practices on a more regular basis, but also to help those who are wanting to start study centers at other institutions. And so we formulated the mission statement, which was to advance the growth and effectiveness of Christian study centers at colleges and universities around the world. And, you know, put even more concisely, uh, the aim of the consortium is to help study centers fly to help them flourish. And sometimes that's providing advice and consultation to board members who are starting a study center. Sometimes it takes the form of programs like the annual meeting that gathers staff members. And we're looking into possibilities in the future, whether there are economies of scale that can be had for human resources, payroll, and things like that. Uh, You know, larger organizations are able to secure, smaller organizations struggle with more. Yeah, so, and just for context for the listeners, Upper House is a much newer study center, uh, started in 2015. And so that's part of, I think, what at least Upper House appreciates from the consortium is a, a, a structure within which to learn from other study centers that have been around the block or confronted the same issues that that upper house confronts and there's um there's just a sharing of knowledge there that it, it's not fun to try to have to rewrite the book yeah at yeah, every particular yeah. I, I always say we gather to share best practices but but in truth we also share war stories right, <laughs> right. i mean there there are the, the challenges there's things we've tried that failed there are things that keep us up at night And to gather with colleagues who are in the same space, dealing with the same kinds of issues, it's a great comfort and encouragement, even when we don't come up with the perfect solutions. Yeah, that's right. Okay, so for a last question, put on your sort of executive director vision hat uh, here. Looking forward, how do you hope study centers like Upper House contribute to the bigger vision of the consortium? And another way of asking that is just where do you hope the the study center movement sort of is heading in the next period here, five, 10 years or, or whatever sort of you see as the, the next era of the study center movement? Yeah, well, I'll just in the broadest terms, if we think about the work that we're doing, universities exist for knowledge production and dissemination, right? So those are the, the two tasks of research and teaching. Land-grant institutions also have outreach elements, but for the most part, research and teaching would be the two big purposes of, of universities. But as Christians, we want not just knowledge, uh, we also want wisdom. And that requires some, some extra and additional efforts and gatherings and consideration that's not going to come just classroom. And in recent years, in the study center movement, there's been more and more talk, not just of Christian scholarship per se, but of Christian formation, of uh, you know, what it means to be shaped and formed to the character of Christ through our everyday practices. And so most study centers are trying to incorporate something along those lines as well. Now, who learns from whom? It's not 
as if the consortium generates all the new insights, wisdoms, best practices, and then it trickles down to study centers, right? It actually tends to go something more like this, that study centers themselves innovate. That's where the vitality is. It's on the ground. And then it can trickle up to the consortium and back down to other study centers, right? So if it were not for the consortium gathering study centers together, those best practices might remain much more isolated and less well shared, spread out. But because we can gather both physically at the annual meeting, but also through other electronic means, which we're doing more and more all the time, you know, something like, say, the Fellows Program, which I remember hearing about for the very first time several years ago when Anselm House embarked on that. And now we've got at least half a dozen study centers that have Fellows Programs, and I think probably the rest of them are hoping that they might be able to develop something like it. It is a best practice, um, but that's just one example. That's the perfect example to end on because that's, of course, one thing we're doing here at Upper House and um, have benefited so much from the connections within the consortium to learn, to, to really speed track uh, something that probably would have taken a lot of, we would have had a lot of errors and, and learning, and we have a ton of learning to do still, but we've avoided many errors by being able to talk to other study centers in the consortium who have been on that journey for years now and can, can sort of share those best practices. Well, thank you, Carl. This is for for the listeners. This is one of the key ways that we talk about Upper House internally is as a Christian study center. It's not the only way we talk about ourselves, but um, being part of this consortium really gives us a sort of broader scope and and bigger framework and many good connections uh, to do our work. So thanks for your time, Carl. Thank you, Dan. It's been great to be here. You've got a terrific place and even more importantly, a terrific program. Thank you very much. The Upwards podcast is supported by the Stephen and Laurel Brown Foundation. It is produced at Upper House in Madison, Wisconsin. Music by Micah Bear, audio engineering by Andy Johnson, and graphic design by Madeline Ramsey. Follow us on social media, including Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn with the handle at Upper House UW.